Good afternoon. Uh, you're I'm getting feedback. Are you, are, you need to turn me down, turn me down, turn you down. Okay. Uh, hi, welcome. It is Wednesday afternoon. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And, uh, I hope my computer isn't moving too slowly. I, I think, uh, there was, um, get everything loaded up. I was actually here early. So, uh, thank you, Don. Uh, well, you know, we all love Bernie, but I don't think Bernie's running a third time. It's, uh, it's, not cause him uh, too much anxiety. No. Uh, yeah. So, am I? Am I? Uh, is is the speed on your end uh, looking okay? As far as how the well speed coming? is fine, but there's this crackling noise that I don't know if that if anybody else hears that or if it's just me. Anybody yeah. in the chat uh, or anybody watching the limited people who are watching? I don't know. Anybody on on Twitter as of yet? It sounds like crackling. You think that's uh, you think that's coming on my end or your end? Yes. That's coming on my end. Here, here's how we'll know. Remove. Let's remove you, and then we'll know if it's coming on your. Well, when you talk, I hear it. Let's hear you say something. Okay, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll remove. it's definitely me. Is it him? Do you guys hear crackling now? Allison, I see you. It's him, right? It's him, right? Yeah, it's you. I'm going to restart. I'll be back in less than two minutes. Jen, right, I'm going to get going here because yeah, you've okay. got some technical sound. You're having sound problems. I'll be right. All right. So hi, all. Welcome. It is Wednesday. Generational change. Um, we are we keep threatening to go back to our evening time slot, but things keep coming up. So we end up doing these afternoons, but that's OK. And uh, <clears throat> I am in Asheville still. This will be the last time I'll be here for a live stream. Um, the next time I will be back in the studio in Florida. So uh, we, we did have a show put together today. We do have something put together for you. And we will be speaking with Jordan in a little bit. And um, our friend Jordan Cheriton of Status Coup has been driving around the country doing like real journalist work and being on the ground. And I think the name of his series is The Economic Hellscape. Um, and, and really just driving around and talking to working people and, and seeing what's going on in the world. You know, the kind of stuff we're not really getting. And speaking about what's really going on in the world, we are going to be speaking with, I'm going to bring Allison on in a second. Um, Allison Miller is running for state attorney. And I'm not entirely sure which county. It is in Florida and it is somewhere over, I believe, on the West Coast. And we're going to find out exactly. I think it's sixth. I think it's Florida six, but we're going to find out more. And this is really important, guys. We talk about this all the time, not just local politics. I mean, local politics is really important, but the state attorney's job is a really important thing. It is that is the person who really can determine uh, people's lives. It's a very important job. And Allison is a former public defender. So anyone who knows me knows that I like that. Um, and, and shout out to new Justice Katanji Brown. Kentanji Brown Jackson, um, who was also a public defender, which I think is really cool that we finally have a Supreme Court justice that was a public defender. But anyway, so we're going to talk with Allison. I'm going to bring her on now and we will share public defender love. <laughs> Hi, welcome. Hi, I love public defenders too. Yeah. So if, I know I'm not exactly right about where it is you are. I, I don't know if you're running for state attorney. Tell me about the exact, like what district you are. Nope, you were spot on. Okay. Um, I always tell people, uh, Florida calls our district attorneys state attorney. So in 
because people are confused, I think, and thinking it's a statewide position, which makes sense because we call it the state attorney. Okay, so well, I, as a lawyer, I do know that. Like, I, I do know that state attorney is not attorney general, but but um, yeah, so, but I, I forget what district you are. Right, and so I am in the Sixth Circuit, you were correct, which is Pinellas and Pasco counties. We're okay. on the kind of central west coast. I always describe Pinellas as the little dangly one on the left. St. Petersburg is the largest city in where I live. So you, your, your state attorney district is not by county. Correct. And so that's That's why. Okay. Cause like ours, you know, in Broward, it's, it's Broward County, but it is also, I believe we're the 17th. You are. Yeah. I think there are five single county circuits. It's based, it started, all of the circuits were about the same population size. Now there's wide diversity between obviously the Panhandle and South Florida, but there are only 20 judicial circuits in Florida. Each has its own elected state attorney and its own elected public defender. And so I think that is why in particular, these races are so critically important as opposed to some states like Texas, we only have 20 prosecutors. And the Florida- you know, in Texas, there's no public defenders in the major cities. Yeah. You know that? <laughs> yes, I did know that. Um, I do capital defense across the country and teach capital jury selection. And um, I'm actually from Texas originally. So where, 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 Houston. where? I was born in Houston. Okay, because I lived in San Antonio for six years. I graduated from St. Mary's Law. I clerked for the oh, Western okay. District. Right, so I'm I'm very familiar with uh, what people don't know is Voy Dyer. And um, <laughs> yeah. like, only Texans get that. But like we, I did criminal defense, just taking appointments from the bench in San Antonio because we didn't have, there was no Bear County PD's office. And right. I just want to touch on how important it is to me that state attorneys come from the defense side. It doesn't happen enough. And I'm very happy about that. But talk a little bit about the kind of cases, like what you were doing and where you felt inspired to like, not, I hate to say switch sides, but when you realize that you could actually be more effective on the front end. Right. And it's, it's kind of twofold and you're right. I don't see it as switching sides. Everybody else seems to, but I've always seen my job as the pursuit of justice. And so it's, which, angle are you coming at it from? But most recently, I was with the public defender's office um, in Pinellas and Pasco for about 13 years. I started actually in Tallahassee. And so I've been at PD's offices about 15 years in total. I had to resign to run. So I'm in private practice. I've been for this past year, which is weird. Um, I've been doing the same work. I've tried four capital cases in the last 15 months while running for state attorney, which I would not recommend. Um, Capital defense is in and of itself really heavy and adding running for office. But um, I think over time you start to carry, I'm sure you can appreciate this, you start to carry the weight of it and the emotion of it and feeling like no matter how hard I worked, it wasn't making an overall larger change. And so I think most public defenders operate under the parable of the starfish on the beach, right? Where there's a bunch of starfish that have washed up on the beach and there's a gentleman that's picking each one up individually and throwing the starfish back in the ocean. And another person says, you're never going to get to all of them. And that guy that's throwing them back in says, yeah, but it made a difference to that one. And that's very much how I've carried myself and my practice. But yeah, it gets harder and harder over time to look at all the starfish on the beach that are still there. And I think what was really the defining moment for me is our long-term state attorney here was Bernie McCabe. He had been in office since 1992 
he died January 1st. Right. And he only had an opponent in a primary um, back in 1992. And his predecessor was Jimmy Russell, who never had an opponent. And so the last time a Democrat has run for state attorney here was in 1964. We actually had to pull the wow. state archives to even find when the last time a Democrat had won. But Mr. McCabe passed away unexpectedly in the first 20 months of a four-year term. He actually died on January 1st. And so the governor appointed somebody as acting state attorney pending this special election that's happening November 8th. And that gentleman is Bruce Bartlett. He's been the chief assistant at the state attorney's office 28 years, and he's been there 43 years in total. He's almost 70. He's already retired. Retired back in 2014 in Florida's pension program, came back after six months, so is collecting a pension and a salary, which I appreciate from the party of fiscal conservatism. But how is that, how is that legal? Most of their top money earner, top money earners, excuse me, at the state attorney's office are retired and so pensioned and salaried, um, which is in and of itself a, a money problem, but it also just totally stymies upward momentum. Is right? that so, is that typical, or is that very like specific to certain? Because I haven't heard that before, like amongst Broward talk. You know, like is that a common look? First of all, nothing surprises me, but. Like, that's something that maybe somebody should be filing charges with the attorney general or something. Well, like, it's definitely legal. It actually, in Broward, there's a really notable example happening right now. Uh, Michael Satz was the long-serving state attorney yeah. there. Okay. But he's back prosecuting Nicholas Cruz. And so he's receiving his pension and an and hour salary. Correct. Um, and he actually negotiated that. Um, you know, this is un unreal. Right. I, I mean, like, I can't believe I don't know this, but that's just, that's crazy. Right. Well, and Harold Pryor is the state attorney in Broward, and he's yeah. actually from Pasco County. Um, he's from up here. I don't mind. Harold's fine. Harold's okay. Yeah. It, it's it better. It was the better of what were the closer options at the time. Okay. We were dealing with a very interesting field uh, in that election, that to say the least. And Harold would have been my number two. And okay. so, so. Kim Ock? No, I actually, I'm friends with Teresa Williams, actually. And Joe has been, Joe was sort of, that was a very disappointing race. And his was a very disappointing campaign for a lot of reasons. Um, but uh, what is the main thing going on where you are? What, like, I, what are I, your big issues that you see, you know, that could be helped by having a very competent state sure. attorney area? Well, and I, I derailed myself in wanting to oust Michael Satz for collecting a, a pension and a salary. But when Bruce Bartlett was appointed acting state attorney, he was interviewed by the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Times. And he said that the thing that makes the state attorney's office the most effective is the lack of change, which is really what motivated me. To, I was contemplating it and I was like, yep, no, I'm going to run against him. Me, change. Um, I have a seven-year-old daughter on top of the things I've shared with you professionally um, and we've talked about Nicholas Cruz, one of the largest school shootings in American history, being in trial in Florida. And so I don't feel like I have the luxury um, to just sit around and, and like fingers crossed, hope things get better or don't get worse or, you know, allow the perpetuation of gun violence and mass violence that we're seeing at just exceedingly high rates. Um, as far as the Sixth Circuit in particular, so the Florida Department of Corrections keeps really specific statistics about who comes to prison and from where and for what. 
And so this last year has been a little bit of an outlier, the fiscal year ending in 2021 because of the pandemic. But prior to that, the Sixth Circuit historically has sent more people to prison every year than every other circuit in Florida. We're number one, but not in a good way. So we send more people to prison than like the 11th Circuit, which is Miami-Dade County. Miami is almost 3 million people. Pinellas and Pasco combined are 1.6 million people. We wow. send more people to, to prison than Broward. More... Right. What, and are so, your, what, are the, what are your prominent charges? Like what what are the majority of things you're looking at? You know, what's crazy is the um, Fair Punishment Project has been involved in Pinellas forever. And I've been involved with them as my role as a capital defense lawyer and a public defender. And not, in a, you know, they've been involved for all the wrong reasons because we're doing things. And so they compiled all of our data for the years 2017 and 2018 to see what the most serious charges were that people were going to prison for. Burglary was number one, which is yeah. sort of to be expected. And it was just, if you add everybody up who's in prison and then you add up the length of their sentences, right? So the number two was second degree murder, which again, you've got people serving very lengthy sentences. So in total, you have a, a big chunk of years that people are in prison for. But number three was sale of controlled substance. And number four was possession of controlled substance, which means the most serious charge people were going to prison for was possession of controlled substance. Not with something else. That was the most serious charge. And they were in prison, which is a sentence longer than a year, obviously. And so and then I think in total, the total length of years that people were in prison for possession of controlled substance was 718 years in just those two years of 2017 and 2018 from just these two counties, which DOC estimates the average cost of incarceration for somebody who's in general population, no specialized health needs at about 25000 a year. And so we're talking about $15 million in two years from two counties to incarcerate people just for drug possession. Well, what are their, uh, how are their private prison, private prison contracts looking? <laughs> They're great. They're right? Great. Someone's making a lot of money on that. We are, right. the, number one, we are the number one state in the U.S. for, pri for the for-profit prison. prison industrial complex. And, you know, we... Uh, you know, we we uh, were fortunate enough that our congresswoman was not able to put a for a for profit uh, correction uh, facility in West Broward, but uh, they're everywhere, and mm -hmm. this plays a huge part in why uh, you know this cycle of poverty, this cycle of incarceration, just continues, and the fact that we prosecute nonviolent drug offenders is probably the biggest outlier, and I would assume if you became the next state attorney of Pasco County, that you would not be prosecuting people for nonviolent drug offense, uh, offenses. Well, and, you know, I think that's the misconception. We're going to prosecute people. It's not about not holding people accountable right, for committing right. crime. It's just that accountability doesn't have to look like incarceration for every single person. And so, I mean, the Eighth Amendment requires individualized sentencing. And so I hear my opponent say he's going to follow the law. He's the law and order guy. And I'm like, well, that's laughable, right? Because... Every crime, in theory, could be punished the same, but not every defendant is deserving of the same punishment based on yeah. their facts and circumstances. And that's what the Eighth Amendment to our United States Constitution requires. And so I want to be in the business of solving problems, not perpetuating more of them. And so about 50% of the people that go to prison from the Sixth Circuit are going for nonviolent offenses. And so I think that's a really common misconception that people are only going to prison for violent crime. And that 
literally is not true half the time here. Well, when you say burglary right off the bat, it reminds me of like, that's the number one juvenile crime that gets juveniles in trouble. And Broward is way up there. If we're not still number one, we're close with in terms of direct files for juveniles, which is charging, I'm not saying this to you, charging juveniles as adults. And it's always burglary. It's like nine out of 10 times it's burglary. And I just want to remind people that's a crime of poverty most of the time. Not all the time, most of the time. And I feel like that's what most of these crimes are. And certainly I'm sure you know, women incarcerated, it's like 90% crimes of poverty. Um, These are not people that are violent that need to be kept off the streets, right? Like that's just such an overuse. So how can you, like, what do you do to combat that? Like the over-incarceration. Right. When you know, when you talk about burglary, I think the one that always got me was, and it used, it usually seemed like it was either children or young adolescents that we term, or excuse me, late adolescents that we term adulthood, right? That would steal bicycles out of garages. And then that would be a residential burglary, which as an adult, which is anybody over the age of 18, is punishable by up to 15 years in prison. And then our, you know, what's interesting about the Sixth Circuit versus the 17th is the Sixth Circuit will file notice to seek any sentencing sentencing enhancement, excuse me, that exists. Correct. And so Broward does the opposite. They only file it if they intend to seek it, which is what I intend to adopt. The Sixth Circuit does it the opposite way. They file it in every instance where the circumstance can be proven. And then you're allowed to like negotiate against yourself as the defendant. But so an 18 year old or 19 year old steals a bike out of a garage charged with residential burglary. He'd gotten out of prison maybe for possession of cocaine within a year. And that becomes a mandatory 15 year day for day sentence. Um, right. And so that's where, you know, because we haven't had a contested general election here in forever, people don't know the circumstances. We haven't had these conversations about what we want prosecution to look like and what purpose we believe it should serve. And so I believe prosecution should serve the purpose of keeping people safe, right? The, the ultimate goal being public safety. And I think that has been that kind of forward thinking has been sorely lacking here. But so to your point, I'm not going to charge juveniles as adults. Generally, there are certain circumstances where the law requires it. Um, and I will, of course, review every case on a case by case basis. But I think it is my moral and ethical obligation. I think we share that to rehabilitate children, which doesn't just benefit the child. It benefits the community. Some of these statistics that I cite, you're like, why does that need to exist? If you put a child in prison, he or she is far more likely to reoffend by committing a crime of violence when he's released than if you had not put that child in prison, which is obvious, right? You put a kid in a potentially violent circumstance, a lot of these children with their own budding substance dependency issues, mental health issues from traumatic backgrounds, and you essentially take them from prey to predator. And then we let them out and we're like, good luck. Hope things don't get worse. Um, well, we want them to reoffend, and we want to permanently have them in the system, either incarcerated or on probation in yeah. some sort of income capacity for the system. Like this is what this is. This is revenue. And those people are fodder for the machine. Right. A hundred, right. I, somebody said, maybe it was Peter. We were talking about it. That was like, the system is functioning exactly as it was intended to. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I think that, you know, there's this misconception because I'm a public defender that I just want to let everybody out of prison. (laughs) I live here with my daughter. The idea that I would do anything to make these communities less safe 
is offensive. I don't know how to say it any other way, but we have to try something else. If locking everybody up really made us safer, America would be the safest country in the world and Florida would be darn near the safest state. And we're obviously and not. Yet we're not and yet we're not. No, right. we're, we're uh, I think we're bottom 10, as a matter of fact. And so. And, and Sorry, so to... Yeah, no, go ahead. No, you had said Pasco, too. It's Pinellas and Pasco. I'm just seeing Pinellas my caption as a Pinellas resident. I'm fond okay. of both counties, <laughs> but Pinellas is the larger of the two. I have a very soft spot for defense attorneys. I think that that's the crux of what our whole country is about. And I have always said this from and I. I would represent anybody. I would represent anybody. I like my, I look, you're talking that you do capital cases. Like I went to law school thinking like my dream job was to work for Barry Sheck. Like this, <laughs> I know like, Barry. I'm sure you do. <laughs> and like, that was the thing. Like I wanted to lobby more policy. I was more policy and lobbying oriented for nonprofits, but this has always been very important to me. I've always been vehemently opposed to the death penalty. I know for a fact it doesn't work how it's intended to work, blah, 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 blah. But I, I am very, like, I think it's so important to have people that, and I, yeah, I'm going to call it sides from what I consider the good side, the defense side, crossing over to the dark side. And I just think it helps make the dark side a little lighter. You know, what's interesting, too, is that and I I did I couldn't help but love the reference to to Justice Brown Jackson um, and drew some strength from her confirmation hearings, because I have already seen the previews of the mailers with myself and some of my clients. Of course. Um, in particular, you one who I you, you agree with them. They're your friends just right. because they do bad things and you defend. Do these people not think people are entitled to a defense? That's like what boggles my mind. Like Saudi Arabia? Right. Like it's, and, and, you know, the, the four clients that I've, some of my clients are innocent, but the four clients that I've defended this year were unequivocally guilty. Um, but it's, yeah, it's the understanding that like, you're trying to execute this person. Do you think that they just don't get a lawyer? We just like cart them off and kill them? <laughs> Especially because Florida gets it wrong a lot. We lead the country in exonerations from death row. Um, the national average is one in nine. For Florida, it's one in three. So for every three people set <laughs> to die, oh my God. the numbers are almost exact. So we counted oh. from 1976 when the death penalty was brought back. It was unconstitutional, oh then brought back. Florida has had 100 executions and 31 exonerations. So it's almost exactly one in three. Correct. So for every three people sentenced to die, one is determined to be factually innocent. Not just like shouldn't have gotten the death penalty. Right. Just, crime. Wow. Right? What, I think, what I think always works the best when it comes to, you know, explaining, um, you know, corrections in the United States especially when it comes to the death penalty, which, again, the majority, overwhelming majority of the country actually believes in the death penalty. What they don't understand is the cost factor and mm-hmm. how much more expensive it is. You know, yesteryear, you know, the average, um, I think, length of death row was like three to five years. Today, it's almost 30 years. So when you're housing somebody on death row with the amount of money that it costs, I think the average death row inmate, it's like over 60000 a year. It's it's more than double what it costs to house a lifer in prison. Uh, you know, to me, anytime you can equate it to an economic argument, that's usually when you get the most people to understand exactly what's going on. And I think- They're not morals. They don't care about- but You know, but our, a lot of the legislature- a couple things on that. So I wrote a bill to extend ineligibility to include folks with- ineligibility for the death penalty to include right. people with serious mental illness. So no. the only, 
The only two categorical exemptions are children and those with intellectual disability, what we formally refer to as mental retardation. But when I was in Tallahassee, like working legislators, the most common response to we shouldn't execute people with serious mental illness was we do that. Um, and those are our lawmakers, but the lawmakers that actually do understand the death penalty know the cost. Um, Speaker Sprouse uh, is from the Sixth Circuit. He's a former prosecutor here. And his response is like, core function. It's core function. It costs a ton of money, but it's about keeping people safe. And I think that argument is infuriating because of its disingenuousness. If the death penalty served the function that people think it was intended to as a deterrent, if it prevented people from being victimized, in particularly violent ways, I'd be all about it. But it doesn't do that. I have represented a lot of capital defendants and not a single one of them has thought to myself, I shouldn't do this, I might get the death penalty because so many of them are seriously mentally ill, intellectually disabled, drug dependent, deeply traumatized, et cetera. And to prosecute a death penalty case, we're talking hundreds of millions to hundreds of thousands. I mean, I know what I spend defending a capital case and I know what the state is is spending to prosecute it. And so- It is apples to oranges. And the thing that really blows my mind is I went into criminal justice because I had been a victim of violent crime. I was held at gunpoint when I was 15 and I was raped when I was in college. And so I knew I wanted to be a part of the criminal justice system. I actually interviewed at the state attorney's office that I'm seeking to become the state attorney of. Um, When I graduated, I interviewed with my opponent um, at the state attorney's office 15 years ago. But, you know, you hear these kind of law and order, tough on crime prosecutors say it's victim driven or it's about the victims. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So Florida has the Timely Justice Act. Governor Scott actually passed it. And what is required before a defendant is eligible for execution or a death warrant? Trial, appeal, post-conviction, federal habeas, clemency. Each of those takes anywhere from three to five years. As Peter mentioned, the length of time that someone's on death row is extensive. And so as far as bringing closure to the next of kin who've lost their loved ones, the death penalty couldn't be further from that. Um, They've done studies on that. I don't know if you've seen, like they've done studies talking to victims' families after executions, um, if they found any sort of closure and they never do. It yeah. never it never satisfies the way that people think it will satisfy. So it, it really doesn't serve what people think it serves. Right. I, I started working with victims of violent crime and then next of kin of homicide victims after I had been victimized. I'm Catholic. So I do some work with the local diocese and then the conference of Catholic bishops. Um, yeah. And I attended a conference where 100 percent of the next of kin and not all of their loved ones were killed in the course of a first degree murder. Some were second degree murder. Some were manslaughter. But all of them said at the beginning they wanted whatever the maximum penalty was. So it wasn't always death. Right. For some, it was life in prison. For some, it was a term of years. But they all said that at the beginning of the process, they wanted whatever the maximum penalty was. And at the end, 100 percent of them said they wish they had t- accepted the early plea deal just so it would have been over. Um, And the most common response I get working from next of kin of homicide victims is that the prosecutors never really told me how it was gonna be. Yeah, yeah. Allison, we need more representatives, non-corporate representatives like yourself in positions of power. Um, We have a very bad habit, as I like to point out constantly in progressive politics of always looking for the bright, shiny object at the top like the presidency or the U.S. Senate or in some cases, Congress. Um, 
seats like yours are immensely, immensely important uh, for righting a lot of the wrongs of our society. Uh, the fact that we have a for-profit prison industrial complex is one of the biggest problems that we face in Florida, as well as the nation. Uh, and I can only imagine how much better things would be if we had universal health care and a living wage, but I digress. Sure. So, <laughs> sure. I, I think that would probably reduce crime more than anything else in this country. With that yes. said... Housing stability. I believe yes. that housing stability and is one of the largest crises that we have here. We have, uh, you know, obviously wonderful uh, representation in the Orlando area, particularly led by Anna Escamani and Carlos Guillermo Smith regarding housing. We're certainly hopeful that uh, Maxwell Frost is uh, definitely tracking to get to U.S. Congress and has made that a point as well. Anything between the I-4 corridor, it seems that most of the good stuff that's happening in the state is happening in your area. So let's hopefully continue that trend, which I think is very important. How can people find you, get involved with your campaign, donate, canvas, text, phone bank, etc.? Yes, I know. And, you know, to touch on that, I mean, I, I haven't campaigning is fun, like getting to do this with you guys today. I've enjoyed, you know, yeah. spending time, meeting, chatting. I mean, I could, we could get on our soapboxes and talk criminal justice probably for hours. The <laughs> fundraising is a real drag. And I think that's uh. the, the main deterrent to people getting involved in this, right? Where the people, you know, that say to me, you can't win because you can't outraise your opponent. Yeah. It's like, that isn't how, I mean, that is very much how the system works. That isn't how it should work. You don't have to outraise your opponent. You just have to raise enough to be fiercely competitive. That is what matters. There's sure. a lot of candidates who run for office that can't, you know, rub two sticks together. And we totally understand. But there is an art to it. There's no question. Uh, you know, outraising your opponent is a very hard thing to do in general, because in like in our case, when Jen ran for Congress, our congresswoman will take every type of corporate special interest money, and we will not. And the same is probably true for your opponent. There is no money that they will not take because the position is more important in regards to their personal desires versus why they're doing it in the first place, which is to serve the community the best way possible. So our goal is to help non-corporate candidates like yourself get as much support as possible. So anybody who's watching this live stream may be inclined to help support a local candidate who is fighting on the right side of justice. Lord knows we need a hell of a lot more of that in today's day and age. Allison, what is your website? And Sorry. obviously we want to help people get involved. Yes, it's www.millerforstateattorney.com, all one word. And the only thing I would say too, I'm sorry, I know I digress. Um, I can't help it. It's, I'm a lawyer, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm talking to other lawyers. Is there, as I said, 20 elected state attorneys in this state? I am the only race that is on the ballot in 2022. And so I got into this race because of the desperate systemic change that we need to keep people safe, safe and be more just, especially racially, in how we prosecute in the Sixth Circuit. And over the course of this last year, it has dramatically changed with what we're seeing from our governor and our legislature. Um, we are on the cusp of abortion being criminalized. I have released a statement saying I'm not going to prosecute abortion. Only one seated state attorney in Florida has said the same. And so of the 20, only six are Democrats. And of those six Democrats, only two are women. And so I don't see this it went from like, man, the Sixth Circuit could use some reform to, oh, wow, the Florida Prosecuting Attorneys Association carries a tremendous amount of weight legislatively in this state. And it is a group of largely conservative old white guys. And what's going to happen if DeSantis gets reelected as we go into his presidential campaign? It seems like him and Governor Abbott are trying to 
pass or prosecute more insane things. Governor Abbott saying he wanted to prosecute parents for providing gender affirming health care in Texas and the prosecutors push back. And so it is a state issue to me who we elect as prosecutors, not just for the voters of the Sixth Circuit. But I apologize. I am also on Facebook. No, I agree. And, I, and I, it's amazing how the party of what they say, small government, loves to have their government all up in our personal parts. <laughs> 100. 100. No, it's actually more just, just a case of men wanting to control women, um, which uh, has not changed. And as a man, I can just say I cannot, as this whole odyssey has come about, um, I'm very libertarian on most civil liberty issues. Uh, I cannot understand for the life of me how men think it's their business to tell women what to do with their body. It's just unbelievable. But I think that there's um, there's a lot of Freudian there's a lot of Freudian stuff going on there. I think there's I right. think that's a huge part of it. But, so but guys, that, help Allison, guys, help Allison because we need state attorneys like this. We need state attorneys that understand actual justice and are not just seeking retribution. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's very important. And, and that's not what we see right now, especially talking about Nicholas Cruz. That's all retribution. That's not justice. And yeah. um, at this point in that, and that, and it's just ridiculous. So I'm, I'm thankful there's people like you who are running for important yes. jobs. Yeah. And I'll, to answer all your, my website, you could, there's a get involved link, right? If people want to volunteer or phone bank, that's much appreciated. There's also a, a link to donate, which, you know, if you're able to any amount, is tremendously appreciated. Five dollars, ten dollars. Um, yeah, and I'm on all the social media platforms: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We have TikTok. Uh, I'm going to do some dancing. Probably, probably not. Whatever gets, whatever gets the money going. Uh, <laughs> generational change will make a contribution. Absolutely. To Thank you. Thank you. And guys, go to MillerForStateAttorney.com. Again, these are the races that really matter. You want to know why the GOP is so successful? It's because they put a premium on the down ballot seats, whether it is state attorney, whether it is the state house, whether it is the county commission, whether it is being a precinct committee leader. There is a lot of value in these positions that never seem to get attention from the media for obvious reasons, but never doubt that they make a significant difference in what direction we move in going forward. If you care about a woman's right to choose, if you care about dealing with the for-profit prison industrial complex we have in this country, and if you care about not having representatives who are bought and paid for by corporate special interests, go to MillerForStateAttorney.com, lend a hand, volunteer, especially if you're in the I-4 corridor in the Tampa St. Pete area. Get involved if you can. It will certainly make a huge difference. Allison, thank you so much for coming on the thank podcast. You, thank you. It's good seeing you and good meeting thank you as well. Absolutely. We'll be Bye. in touch. Bye-bye. She was lovely. And as we have uh, often pointed out, you know, a lot of these representatives that we need uh, don't ever seem to get the attention that they deserve. And she would be a prime example of that. Uh, you know, but I think I've been fighting back against that defense attorney myth since before I even went to law school. And it's very frustrating. So I feel that from her. Like somehow, if you're a defense attorney, you want all the guilty people going free and you want everybody to get away with murder. And it's just so ignorant. And those same people that like sleep under the blanket of justice that they say that they love so much, but yet they don't fathom that it applies to others. Well, like, the problem that also ends up happening well, the problem that also ends up happening is you've got the, the GOP, you know, um, marketing machine, if you will, that will always highlight the worst 
you know, state attorneys, the ones that are making decisions that are very bad for the general public. Um, the gentleman's name is slipping me right now, but the, the state attorney who got recalled in San Francisco, I don't think there was anything wrong with recalling him. He put in a law that said that any crime under a thousand dollars is considered a misdemeanor. And you basically had smash and grabs all the time going on in downtown San Francisco. You pass a law like that. What do you think is going to happen? A thousand dollars is not petty crime. Fifty dollars. That's petty crime. But once you start moving the numbers up where basically a thousand dollars could be. I think the point is that the numbers are relative. So maybe because everything else is so expensive in San Francisco, that that is what is considered a petty crime. I'm just saying all relative. Maybe so. But again, for and this is the thing. It's like people want to get on. um, They want to get on like the state attorneys in particularly in San Francisco and Philadelphia and are talking about like, well, why is all this petty crime up? It's because the cost of living is so out of control. Uh, you can't get any good. So, and by the way, these are super majority Democratic controlled areas. So this idea that it's the Republicans that are keeping you down is simply not true. For profit or corporate special interests, domination of a given area is going to lead to mass incarceration. As long as we have a for profit prison industrial complex, this is going to continue. They want to prosecute petty crime because they want people in the system. But then there's also the flip side of, well, we're not going to prosecute petty crime up to a certain point, which is a very high threshold. And then you just have, you know, street crime everywhere. In case you haven't noticed, we're not living in a good time right now. No, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But, you know, historically speaking, I don't know of a nonviolent revolution. And so I think it's extremely kind of naive for people to think that that's something that's going to happen when it's never happened before. So, yeah, I think it's going to get worse. And I really do look at what we do and what my job is, is some sort of like helping people direct the anger in the right direction. So it's like if you are heading in a revolutionary direction. I wanted to encourage people to punch up and not kick down. I feel like if we could get everybody to at least focus their anger in the correct direction, that would be better. That's, that's what I feel like my goal is. It's not the immigrants. It's not the, it's not the immigrants, not the poor people. It's not the black people. It's not that it's the rich people. That's the problem. So that's where we need to direct the, the anger. Thank you, Sam. I'm sure Jen appreciates that. Uh, People uh, have nice Thank things to say you. about your, your background. Uh, Jordan will be along shortly. Uh, you know, it's getting to the point now where they're going to try every which way uh, the corporate media to try to manufacture their desired outcome in 24. It's not going to happen because I do think people are too awake now to what's going on. But the idea that a poll was released yesterday indicating two things. One, 75 percent of registered Democrats do not want President Biden to run again. What a shock. Uh, at least the number of them are recognizing just what a colossal failure his presidency has been. Uh, and I think a lot of them are at least somewhat hip to the fact that a Trump or you know 2.0 or a DeSantis presidency is very likely in 24 
And so they think that they need a, a better fighter that's out there. But when you do a poll in New Hampshire that suggests that Pete Buttigieg is the top desired person that our country wants to elect as president, it's like, I don't know how many people have to be asleep at the wheel to not recognize, first of all, that he is a Manchurian candidate. He is completely failed as the, as the Secretary of Transportation. He is so robotic in the way that he speaks and the way he conducts himself. And when I hear people say, oh, my God, he sounds so great. I'm like, I, I don't know what you're listening to. And then there's uh, another little tidbit. You know how I brought up the other day that the Democratic establishment has been funding these Trump-backed candidates to basically yeah. win their primaries to run against in the general election? Well, a nice little tidbit that I came across for those of you who have not heard Governor Pritzker of Illinois speak, I can tell you he's going to run for president. It's a question of when it's going to happen. Uh, he donated personally $35 million to his own to his own state's GOP primary to get the desired candidate he wanted to face in the general election, which is a Trump-backed candidate, which apparently is leading to a somewhat competitive election in a very blue state. Go figure, right? Um that's a scandal. That That's like, I mean, first of all, the guy's a freaking, he was, you know, look, I've met the guy. He's friendly, whatever. Uh, he was born into massive wealth. He's a multi-billionaire and he's part of the Hyatt hotel chain fortune. This is no, this is almost as if, if, if Paris Hilton was running for office, it's basically the same thing. And this idea that we need a billionaire. No, we don't. The only reason why the Democratic Party is going to push hard for Pritzker, I can assure you it's going to happen, is because of the fact that the desire of the Democratic establishment is to get paid, not win. And if a guy that's got that kind of money is going to pay, is going to shell out tens of millions of dollars, well, you better believe that people are going to say, oh, yeah, definitely him. But let's not pay attention to the things that he's doing, because you've got the normie Democrats who live in a bubble thinking that fascism is coming to the United States. Well, if it is, the Democratic establishment is trying to hasten it to happen. Well, they're definitely not fighting it because the, the only thing that really can fight fascism is socialism. And and it's really interesting, like watching this play out, because, you know, I, I think that the clip we put out today, I forget or if it drops, I think it comes out today. It's it's a picture of FDR on one side and Hitler yeah. on the other. And it's like pick, pick which one. And that's basically what you need in order to fight populism on the right is populism on the left. So um, that this is where we're going. I've been watching it very carefully. And it's just it's like watching a train wreck in slow-mo. I just don't understand how people are so naive. Like, I really don't get it. I do but not they understand. Live in, they live in bubbles. They watch the preferred media that repeats and, you know, basically echoes the sentiment that they want to hear over and over and over again. And then they criticize anybody for talking to anybody outside of their little bubble. And they really don't want anything to do with anything that doesn't confirm their already given position. That's why people stay in their little bubbles. They like it there. It's safe. It's very comfortable. I think that really speaks to the whole Deborah Messing thing that we had talked about recently, where all of a sudden she was up in arms in the fact that she got invited to the White House is a joke. But we have to stop mentioning her. 
Yeah. Like, a general rule, I feel like when we mention certain people, it gives them more credibility than they're worth. And why would we want to be one more thing that if somebody typed their name in, it would come up with them? Like, I, we need to just. Well, stop I mean, she did get Joe elected. So that's important to point out. Well, I just mm-hmm. think we should stop talking about people that are not serving. I think what we should be talking about is what's really going on in this country and why anyone who's pushing this idea of a Buttigieg or a Kamala or a Pritzker or a Newsom or whoever is the, you know, corporate pick of the day for the Democratic establishment in 24, if Joe doesn't run. Oh, and by the way, Joe apparently has already recovered from COVID. Imagine that. It's a miracle. It's a a Festivus miracle. Within five days, he's fine. That old man is fine. And you know why he's fine? Because if you think that it had anything to do with him getting the COVID shot is the reason why? No, it's because there is medication that can be used to save you. Just like there's probably medication that can be used to uh, reduce cancer cells and save people that need to be saved. And why is that? Well, because we live in a country of haves and have-nots and the haves get to have what they want and the have-nots get to fight for the scraps. And that's plus, plus disease is incredibly profitable. If you, if you cure yeah, disease, absolutely. you really, especially in this country, like this, this country is a gold mine for diseases, man. Like, and, and then you, they get in bed with the insurance companies and they specifically don't cover those certain types of diseases. It's like, it's this ridiculous grift. Well, you can say that again, but if you really want to know what's going on in the country, our next guest who hopefully will be arriving shortly, Jordan Chariton of Status Quo News had the opportunity to drive around the country in all over the Rust Belt, uh, went through Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia, and I believe Michigan, uh, and I believe Kentucky as well, uh, and really got to see what goes on in regular places where we're not just paying attention to what's going on in D.C. and in New York and in L.A. There's a lot more to the country than just that. And so Jordan was able to get some raw footage that I think is very relevant to what's going on today. Are so you going to play it? Do you have I it? Am, yep. I'm going to show you Hi, that. I think this is very important that you all get an idea of just how bad things really are. Right now, I just recently spoke about a tenant um, on city council two months ago um, because her and uh, her name is Heidegger. They have to knock on the uh, bathroom wall when they leave the bathroom because they're there. They see each other at the bathroom because they, they don't have a bathroom. Today is July 11th, Monday, 2022. Um, I am here at 1145 um, Tarson Terrace uh, at a tenant's house uh, apartment complex in Erickson, Akron, Ohio. Um, this is her bathroom. It has been like this for a month. Her name is Samantha Jarvis. She will be speaking on city council tonight. Yes, you can see through her neighbor's bathroom. And they, it's a renovated unit. So, you know, um, I just spoke about that. They were living there for over a month like that. So, um, 
Yeah, it's a lot of infestation, black mold, termites in these apartments and nobody is doing anything. We have went to um, the health department. We have spoken to people in uh, the county council, the city council. Um, we have talked to Marsha Fudge. We have been on calls with her. We've been on calls with HUD and nothing has changed at what? this point. They just giving you lip service, HUD? Yeah, pretty much. Um, they said they were coming to do inspections themselves. They're doing some program where they're doing inspections. Um, they're going to come here and do them themselves, um, I guess, in August. So. Um, and what yeah. about the local city council, your mayor? They have, and actually, Jeff uh, Fusco and Margo has visited. We had, they have toured the apartments with us. And... Um, and their city council. Their city council. Uh, they're the presidents, mm -hmm. actually. Um, and nothing has changed. I'm still fighting for these people um, to get better housing because we gave um, Freedom Block gave Margot Somerville a, a letter from the housing division, um, the inspectors part, saying that um, they did an inspection and it should be demolished and. Um, what she did with that information, I have no clue. Obviously, nothing, because nothing has happened. Mm. You know, it's interesting. That is just one of two videos I would like to play for you guys. So if you bear with me for one second, I'm going to pull up another clip, which I think is that's very important. crazy to me. And yeah. I know it happens. And, and by the way, that's happening everywhere. It really is. Yeah. It's like for, for every rat you see, there's 50 you don't. I mean, literally, but figuratively. So like the if that's this person's apartment, imagine how many people are living that way. Yeah. Imagine how many people are living that way. And that is really the crux of it that I think people are failing to recognize is just how serious this issue really is. And this no, is Chantel's not going to do diddly about that, but it isn't her district anymore, technically. But it's funny. I uh, that's what I was thinking, too. I maybe this woman should ask Chantel Brown for help. I'm sure Chantel Brown will care very deeply about this. Woman. So that was in. So that was in Cleveland, Ohio. No, that was in Akron or Akron, Ohio. Excuse right, me. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so now we're going to take you to Huntington, West Virginia. Oh, that can't be good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, we go from Chantel Brown territory to Joe Manchin territory. And it, it just never, uh, if you think it can't get worse, it can certainly get worse. So this is where they used to live, where they just moved in. Hold on, hold on. This floor here will fall through on this. Uh, you have to watch out because that's bad. So that floor, he just said, be careful because you could fall fall through. So I'm going to be careful. This here, we have this board over this, because if not, we will fall through here. Wow. As you can see, came a waste coming down. And you see run down the wall and uh, it was causing the toilet to sink, which is not even set, mounted to the floor, as you can see. That's not even mounted. So the toilet's not mounted to the floor. The you got human waste, human waste up there that was falling down the ceiling. And the bathtub is actually dropping. You can see where the um, uh, the caulking around the tub 
silicone around the tub is splitting because the tub is dropping as well. They were informed about that. Nothing's done. Down the wall, you can see where that was also happening. I don't know if you can see that or not. You can see where the water was running down the wall and everything, and they never wanted to fix any of that as well. And then black mold and everything that we had, I don't know if there's any more. See all this, which rusted up here and stuff, and water and everything. Black mold was all up in this area. And I cleaned it out with the bleach because of her and her breathing and stuff. She can't breathe that, which in turn, she ended up in the hospital twice. And where would you go if, if you had to be evicted, you know, if they got away with it? To the river? I can't afford nothing, but I, I had traffic. I got, I got a camera from Xfinity, so people, would, the landlord would leave me alone. And within three days, I was being accused of traffic, drug dealing, nuisance, and so I got a camera. And I'm paying twenty two dollars a month for twenty four months for something I really don't need because I don't have I don't have people. <laughs> I mean, people don't really particularly like me. And you're having seizures, you said? Yeah, I've had two. Well, I haven't had any in about oh, about two weeks, but I had two seizures when all this began because I was so stressed out. I mean, it was <laughs> medically, this place is going to kill me. <laughs> I went down there one time and I talked to Rocky and the first thing he told me was a lie. He lied to me the first thing he told me. So I don't believe anything these people say. He's the lamb. Right. So you got here. The bathroom's real bad too. Yeah. Remove all damage and molded drywall and hot water heater closet, repair, finish, and paint, repair subfloor and finish floor in the hall leading into the living room. Refrigerator, replace light in refrigerator. Vanity faucet, dripping really bad in the bathroom. Repair or replace. And they're also having to replace the, uh, the toilet and redo the bathroom because it was not done right in the first place. This is all breaking, falling apart. The code base is falling apart. And that has been dripping since forever. <laughs> okay. Body came on Saturday, and they're going to replace toilet and sink. This this is what's really bad. Um, when they came to fix all the water leaks here, um, they never cleaned up their mess. You see the black mold in here? <laughs> yep. And they never done this. Um, they cut an access hole in the back back there and just left the drywall <laughs> leading against the refrigerator. And if that building catches on fire, how are we going to get out? Especially if it catches on fire in the front, how, how are all of us going to get out? The back door is nailed in. The back door is nailed in? It's screwed in. You can't get in and out the back door at all. And I think that's wrong. And he put my mom in the hospital for four days right here because he knocked on her door. Because she had somebody there that he had kicked out. And he, they kick him off the premises. What is up with that? And what was the reason he gave for trying to evict your mom? Because he had kicked somebody out. And when they kick you out of these buildings, they knock you off the premises, period. And the boy come to put his stuff in my mom's apartment because he had no ride, no way of packing this stuff on a bicycle, and he's crippled. And so mom told him that he, she can, he could put his stuff in her apartment. He come back to get it. Well, the guy that's a supposed to be working for him, uh, seen him and called the law and then called the landlord and the landlord come right out here, right off in the back and then knocked on her door and told her she had one hour. 
is not a week to get out of his property. He is the host of Status Quo News. He is doing real journalism, which is what you just saw. You see the underbelly of the United States of America, and it's everywhere, and it's being ignored, and we've had enough of this shit, as should every one of you be. Jordan Cheriton, welcome back to Generational Change. I apologize for being late, right on cue. Uh, we just got home yesterday. I am missing uh, two pieces to my camera, so I couldn't get the camera onto the tripod. So sorry for the uh, uh, delay. What's up with that, Colin? What's up with that? Yeah, uh, Colin, I rarely get mad at, uh, so I, I will give him a pass. But uh, somehow our piece of our camera got misplaced, uh, so I was just spending 20 minutes trying to figure out a solution. But here I am. Take it from the top. Where did you start? Where did you end? All the places in between. We've seen, obviously, um, a multitude of different clips of your trip, uh, and it shows uh, just how much people are suffering. And nothing's being done to mitigate any of these problems, whether at the local, state or federal level. Uh, our country is broken. Take it away. Yeah, um, I kind of I named the trip economic hellscape uh, kind of tongue in cheek. But then when I was out there, I realized, no, that that's really accurate. Actually, um, we started in Philadelphia um, where uh, like. Like many other cities, uh, gentrification is really thick. Uh, there was actually a low-income uh, apartment complex uh, in near Drexel University, uh, UPenn, uh, predominantly black, uh, low-income residents that uh, got an eviction notice about a year ago, but now uh, they have been given two months uh, to leave uh, because the landlord's selling to a real estate developer, and you know the uh, presumption is they're going to be trying to expand uh, the universities. Uh, that's something going on around the country where co colleges are buying up properties where low-income people live to expand their campuses. So a, pro a protest encampment has sprung up uh, on this low-income uh, complex with tents, uh, residents inviting community members to basically protest 24-7 uh, uh, in these tents. Uh, so we spoke with residents there Couple of days after we left, of course, a judge ordered the tents and the protesters to leave. Uh, so that was the first uh, stop. That was really, 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 really powerful. Speaking with these residents who are really struggling, and you know they have nowhere else to go. Uh, you can't just look for another apartment these days and find something comparable to what you're paying. Uh, so we went to Altoona next, which is Western Pennsylvania, uh, kind of Trump country. Uh, where we spoke with five or six residents, uh, you know, kind of the few progressives in town uh, who, I mean, it's just heartbreaking. You know, one woman uh, between her and her boyfriend, they're raising eight children. Uh, she's in school now to become a nurse to, to better her situation. But just to go back and forth between schools, she can't afford it because of the gas. Uh, she said she doesn't know if they're going to be able to afford rent this month. I asked her, where would you go? She said, we'd be homeless because they don't have a relationship with the family. Uh, another woman uh, is, you know, scavengering around her home to find change <laughs> to fill up gas. Uh, she has three children, all uh, with differing disabilities. One of her kids, she has to drive from Altoona to Pittsburgh once a week, which is two hours back and forth. So four hours total uh, for his special needs. 
And um, that's $150 in gas every week for, you know, a working person. Um, so kind of stories like that. Then we went to Pittsburgh, uh, interviewed one of the Starbucks workers who was recently fired uh, for the crime of organizing. That's been happening everywhere. Starbucks workers, Amazon workers who unionize uh, or attempt to unionize being fired. Uh, then we went to Akron, uh, Ohio, uh, 40 minutes from Cleveland, where uh, we did something very radical for a media outlet. We, we went to speak with uh, houseless people, uh, which I, I call them houseless, if anyone's wondering, because uh, I was told a long time ago by a houseless individual that it's, uh, you know, uh, no, not that anybody tries to hurt homeless people, but uh, homeless, the is basically home is where the heart is. So you, you don't want to suggest they're homeless because that would suggest, you know, they're without a heart. So they're just houseless. They're without a home. So I call them houseless. Anyway, I, I went to two different encampments uh, where uh, people are houseless in the 97 degree climate inferno. Um, it was really, really horrible. Uh, just uh, you re there's no words that can kind of describe what you see. You just have to be there. Uh, one of them, uh, people are just, garbage everywhere. Um, you know, you could tell they're dehydrated. It was like Christmas when we brought water. Um, the other one, I spoke with a houseless individual who described what the city of Akron is doing to them as hunting them. Uh, the police basically hunt the houseless and sweep them. So whenever they set up, you know, a community somewhere uh, where they could put down their tent and get some rest, you know, a day later, they're, they're being uh, found by police and told to move. Um, so that interview was heartbreaking. Then we went to, uh, we did some interviews in Cleveland too. And then we went to West Virginia, which was kind of just a mix of um, talking to folks struggling with inflation, talking to folks, kind of the, I'd say the, 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 the top victims of Joe Manchin, obviously West Virginia residents, uh, digging a little bit more into his corruption, uh, then we went to Huntington, West Virginia, which is about a half hour from Kentucky, where um, low income white residents this time got a immediate eviction notice uh, a, a little about a month ago uh, to vacate the promises be, premises because of a drug problem. Uh, obviously, West Virginia has major opioid problems. Uh, I did a little digging before we got there and learned that the owner of the property is also a doctor prescribing Suboxone, which is for opioid addiction. Right. And his tenants are also his patients. And as soon as you get there, I mean, I, I've been to some third world countries where. I mean, this was this was like a third world country, black mold everywhere. I mean, even wearing a mask, you're breathing it in um, flies everywhere. Uh, shit, human feces coming from the ceiling floors that if you step the wrong way, they're, they're caving in um, just. I mean, graffiti, it's just a mess. Meanwhile, the landlord's driving around in a Tesla. Uh, and oh, of course. Everyone, everyone I spoke with, none of them were on drugs. Well, uh, I don't understand why these don't get prosecuted by any. I mean, I understand why. But like this is the kind of stuff that should be being prosecuted are slumlords. Like that's the kind of stuff that people, you know, I want my state attorney to be prosecuting those guys. Yeah, well, if the slumlords are paying off your city council, mayor, and the rest of them, right? There you go. Uh, and it's it's and also it was really alarming because it's you know I don't I don't I have to do some follow up, so I want to be careful what I say. But it seems that this doctor is targeting his tenants to become his patients and make money. 
uh, because people were telling me as soon as they moved in, they were getting pamphlets from the landlord, who is the son of the property owner, who's the doctor, uh, handing out pamphlets for his opioid addiction treatment. Uh, there's also some things where the doctor might be double billing HUD to get more money. Uh, so really, really shady stuff, but it was really alarming. I mean, I interviewed a few people during the live stream and then I went back after the live stream and several of them were on oxygen. And these are not like 90 year olds. We're talking 40s, 50s you know, on oxygen because of the black mold in this building. And that's during a pandemic that attacks your respiratory system. Um, I interviewed one woman, it was heartbreaking. Um, she had her leg amputated because of an illness. She went to the doctor a month ago. Uh, she got a bad diagnosis and she comes home to get an eviction notice uh, because of the drug problem. And ironically, when I called uh, on the way there, I called the landlord and I called the property group. They don't have a voicemail set up. <laughs> there's no voicemail. So <laughs> tenants can't leave a message. Uh, the tenants told me there's no emergency number. Basically, they're living in a slum uh, with black mold shit. I mean, we, the video showed it. And uh, they are... They can't even contact anyone. And worst of all, after my live stream and after, you know, it got around on Twitter, all of a sudden they set up a voicemail box <laughs> and the landlord comes screaming at the people. One of the people that interviewed with me saying that there's no cameras allowed on the premises and threatening to evict her. So you would think that this is exactly the type of thing that uh, county prosecutors, attorney generals would be prosecuting. But. This is a gentrification scheme, and it wasn't in the live stream, but surrounding this area is Marshall University, which is the big college in Huntington. And I don't, I don't have, you know, I can't factually say this, but some of the residents I spoke with believe that they're trying to, the doctor is trying to get rid of all the poor people. Uh, many, by the way, who are veterans who fought uh, in for America are disabled, trying to clean house, sell the property so that Marshall University can expand it. Uh, can purchase it. So there's a theme here. We've seen it in New York City with Columbia. We've seen it with major colleges uh, to beautify and for, you know, young people and yuppies to get an education. Uh, they are pushing poor people out of their communities. But this was really one of the worst things I've seen in seven years on the road, the conditions these people are living in. What do you say to the Biden administration who want, is insisting that the economy is doing good right now and that people are thriving? Unemployment. We've got a very low unemployment, under three and a half percent. You know, I don't know if you guys, I, I, you guys have probably felt this uh, canvassing and, you know, doing your political organizing. Sometimes you feel like you're in the twilight zone um, where you're on the road and you're just seeing the actual reality. And then you go back to the hotel and like CNN is doing a 10 hour pregame show for the January 6th hearings. Uh, and then the next day they're doing a full day post game. And, you know, we've talked about it. I'm not, I, I don't begrudge media for covering it, but there is a complete like alternate reality between what, I am seeing, not just with this trip, what I've seen for years, and not just the corporate media, but frankly, the independent media. I mean, you go on Twitter and you just see what people are talking about and fighting about and um, prioritizing compared to what I just saw and witnessed. 
it, 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 no wonder we have a, such a corrupt status quo because people have no earthly clue what is actually going on. Um, so my message to Biden, it's beyond Biden. I mean, this is the political class that goes both ways, is you're killing people. I mean, capitalism is killing people in some cases acutely and in some cases it's a slow grind. But this, you know, this corrupt system is killing people. And the fact of the matter is there is no very, very few things that um, these people could do. I mean, this West Virginia story, for example, the Huntington, West Virginia slum I just covered, those residents reached out to the media, media doesn't respond. They reached out to the ACLU and a reporter from the ACLU responded. And he posted the eviction notice on Facebook. So that's how I saw it. I wouldn't have known about this story unless I just happened to stumble upon it. But look at the things that need to happen for even independent media to cover things. Uh, the residents contacted local news, national news, nothing. Um, so there really is a horrifying alternate reality out there. Um, then you go into, fittingly, we, we just happened to be on the road during a fucking, they call it a heat wave. I call it the climate inferno. Uh, so that's happening as more and more people are facing homelessness, as more and more people are uh, living in slums. Um, it's a really bad situation out there. And it drives me insane when I see, you know, these resistance media people. Hey, gas has gone down 38 days in a row. And, you know, parroting Biden's historic economic recovery. It's a historic Gilded Age. That it is. Um even in the less dire stuff I covered where people aren't houseless or, you know, are somewhat getting by, they're still struggling. And that goes into the mental health crisis. I mean, I don't think I spoke with anyone that's not having issues with depression, anxiety, uh, worse. Um, before I took this trip, I interviewed a woman in Illinois that um, she was hospitalized two years ago for a mental health problem, uh, which I sympathize with because I had that many years ago myself. And, you know, finally, she found uh, a medication that helped her, you know, in addition to therapy. But because of inflation and she's a single mother, um, she could afford the medication. She cannot afford the doctor to prescribe it because for certain medication, you have to get it refilled and the doctor makes you see them three, four times a year. So she is now just slowly weaning herself off this medication, just hoping that it works. Well, for a lot of people, it, it uh, mental health medication is similar to like insulin for a diabetic. You need it. Uh, I know some people are circulating. Oh, no, there's no such thing as a chemical imbalance. OK, uh, I could tell you in my case, there, there is. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you have these people getting off medication they need because of inflation. And uh, I unfortunately, I think people are also um, buying into inflation as if it's like a an acute short-term thing that will get better. Yeah, the gas prices will go down. The food prices to a certain degree will get down. We've had a 20-year inflation. It's called gentrification, which I call economic terrorism because uh, it's terrifying when you don't know if you're going to be houseless in a couple, in a, in a few weeks. So it's a really bad situation. And, um, you know, unfortunately, every trip I take, aside from a few, uh, other than a retweet, you really can't get, You re it's very hard to get, I mean, I contact, I won't name names because hopefully he'll cover it, but I contacted a, uh, an MSNBC anchor that is not the worst of the worst, uh, decent. And I said, hey, you know, 
uh, understand you're covering January 6th and the growing white supremacy threat, this and this. But I think MSNBC, with your resources, you know, you could get a team out there to, to X, Y, and Z story. You know, it doesn't even matter to me if you credit me or, you know, have me on, but maybe you could cover these things. Uh, so, you know, he responded and said, I'll take a look. That was two days ago. Uh, nothing yet. So, um, you know, credit to Crystal and Sagar. You know, I, we uh, are lucky now that uh, Status Quo is a, a partnership with Breaking Points. So some of what we have done on the road will be on their channel, uh, which gets more eyeballs to it. But yeah, it's disheartening. I mean, imagine the independent media hosts with 500,000 subscribers, a million subscribers, more that could be doing exactly what I'm doing. They don't even have to leave their studio. Just have them on your show. Uh, and, and they're not. Yeah. If you think that somebody we used to be mutually friends with uh, isn't in it for a career, that person used to cover stories like this and now doesn't cover them at all anymore. Now it's all about how many clicks can I get? You know, one thing that was very interesting, a statistic that I came across the other day, which I thought was very telling, 75%, not of all the advertising, but of the advertising dollars, 75% of the advertising dollars spent in the United States is spent by big pharma. If that doesn't tell you what a crisis it is that we do not have a universal health care system and why we don't have it, how much more obvious does it have to be? They make all of this money by poisoning millions and millions of people, whether it's in the Rust Belt, whether it's in the South, the heartland, even in the big coastal city areas, it's people who are suffering every day do not have an opportunity to live a normal life because the weight of the system is just completely stepping on you right now. And if you really want to see the effects of what corporate infused inflation really looks like, you go to places in Illinois, Kentucky, Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, you will see just how bad things can get. But why do you think there's still such a big disconnect with so many people who tr who supposedly absorb all of this news all the time, but yet can't take five seconds to recognize that this is the effect of the multiple for-profit industries in this country, as Jen likes to point out, healthcare, education, and corrections. As a result of that, you are seeing the complete disintegration of whatever remnants of democracy we once had. And anyone who still thinks it exists is literally asleep at this point. You know, honestly, in my experience, and I think you've seen it to a certain degree, just knocking on doors, I'd say 75% of the American people are completely unaware uh, of a lot of these things. Um, I'll just give an example. I was just at physical therapy. I uh, have a slight tear in my ACL. So that's been fun. And, uh, uh, my physical therapist, you know, we become friendly and, you know, he's like, oh, I w I've been watching your videos from time to time. He said, oh, Jesus Christ, I watched some of those videos from uh, the, the tour you were just on. How come how come uh, CNN's not covering these things? And that's somebody that said this. He's not like a political junkie. He's just an average, you know, he's a physical therapist. I get that from my parents, too, all the time who are, you know, voted for Trump and my dad. I love him, but uh, is a little deranged, watches a lot of Fox News. But even this stuff breaks through with them where they don't understand how is this happening? Or uh, I did an interview with a, a houseless woman on the road and my mom said uh, that brought me to tears. How come nobody's doing anything for these people? They don't. Mo most people aren't aware of this because what 
if most people are working several jobs or let's just say the middle class to upper middle class person works their professional job and then, you know, watches their reality TV, the, the, the little news consumption they get is maybe a New York Times subscription or a Washington Post subscription or local news for a few minutes while they're, uh, you know, uh, doing what they need for the kids. They're just seeing fluff. I mean, I said to Colin, we have got to do a documentary one day where we go on a road trip like this uh, for longer than a week and we just contrast it to the local news and the national news coverage at the same time. Because in the hotel, it, again, this is the twilight zone. I put on like Pittsburgh today and they might as well have been covering like lemonade stands uh, while I'm out in the road, talk, you know, showing this stuff. So why do I think people don't get it? Because if they're watching CNN, they're seeing pharma pharmaceutical ads, but no actual coverage of these stories. Um, and by the way, this goes, you know, with Biden and the Democrats new, uh, you know, fetish for uh, a return to 1980s tough on crime. Why do you think there's such crime problems in this country? Could, could it be that there's an economic hunger games going on? Could it be that full people who formerly could have worked one job are now working two? Uh, could it be that like, I mean, every person that I ask, like what happens if you have an emergency or what happens if this thing falls through, uh, they pretty much most people said I'd be homeless for yeah. whatever the reason. They don't have a relationship with their family or whatever the case may be. So I think most people are truly clueless to what's going on. Um, and part of that also is, you know, I don't think it's all their fault. But we also have, you know, progressives in Congress that uh, I don't think it's I, I don't subscribe to the fraud squad and this kind of stuff. But. I do subscribe to they were put in there to be activists in Congress. Uh, so when they are not on on the ground with the people activating people, uh, you know, it's great that AOC was arrested uh, over the Supreme Court. Uh, I don't begrudge her for that. I don't really give a shit if she was cuffed or not cuffed. Uh, that was a whole three day thing. But wouldn't it have been nice if she was leading protests outside the White House during the worst of the pandemic for Medicare for all? Um, you know, or the climate emergency. So I, I think it's a multi-pronged issue. You have corporate media that exists to literally cover up these types of stories. And you have independent media that uh, too many times is focused on clicks and nonsense. And now you have this new trend of lefties that seem to be parroting right-wing right, right -wing talking points and focused on like culture issues and trans and, you know, this stuff. Uh, it's very, very disheartening. Uh, uh, on one end, I feel most alive when I'm on the road professionally. This is this is just where I get my, you know, this is my element. Uh, this has always been where where I want to be, aside from you know with my wife and dog, so she doesn't get pissed off. Uh, but you know, it, it's heartbreaking because I'm leaving back to my life. You know, I'm not like I'm not a Rockefeller, but I'm not you know, I'm not poor either. And these people are stuck in it every day. But what does make me feel good is at least getting some attentions on, on these stories. I think the problem is you could get attention on the stories, but how do we get people to actually organize? And another, another quick point, I did make a point of asking most of the people I interviewed, 
even the ones that are still working in the electoral system, you know, trying to reform the Democratic Party. All right. If all this ends up, you know, spinning your wheels, do you think there's a chance for, you know, working people, poor people to come together and organize for something like a general strike? Uh, and one woman said to me, I can't I can't fill I can't even fill my car up to go to the protest. Uh, so, you know. Well, I think a lot, I think the main reason that these things don't get handled by the party system is they're just not profitable. Like right now, the Democrats are so happy to be fundraising off of all of this stuff that's been going down with our civil liberties. Like that's some sexy stuff to fundraise off of. Um, and homeless people and their problems, it, that just doesn't do anything for them. Yeah. Very and, I also, and I also think right now, um, you know, I'm looking at how the corporate media, as I'm sure you've observed, is already trying to manufacture consent for Buttigieg or, you know, whoever else they're going to try to put up in 24. Um, what are your thoughts as far as, you know, because all too often people get way too caught up in this idea that, you know, one person has to sort of lead the charge. But, you know, I do think that somebody has to step up um, and run the type of campaign that takes what Bernie had started in 16 and 20 and take it to the next level where almost like a central focus is on the environmental catastrophe, the labor catastrophe, everything that's really been going on that I think is sort of just like this ready to explode underbelly of our country that just can't take it anymore. I mean, right now, you know, I mean, I saw DeSantis give an interview the other day and I'm thinking, oh, he's just he's just warming up. Like he's ready for that seat already. You know, you might as well just hand it to him because he's got he knows exactly what to say, how to say it. And people are going to fall for it. Hook, line and sinker. And how do you not at a time of great desperation? How this administration doesn't recognize how bad things are right now. And it's amazing because if you know, as an independent journalist, how bad things are. Imagine what they know, having all of, you know, every type of shadow government agency who pays very close attention to everything that's going on at every minute of every day. You walk around D.C., they're everywhere. They know exactly what's going on in West Virginia, in Kentucky, in Ohio, in Michigan, in Illinois, in Pennsylvania. They know what's going on and they're just letting it happen. It's, it's like at some point, people really have to wake up and recognize that the government is not going to save us. They're bought. It's going to take a collective effort of people coming together and putting all of this BS aside. The fact that. And, you know, listen, give credit where credit's due, Crystal and Sagar. We thank them very much for helping cover this. Obviously, you know, as Jen likes to say, we're a small but mighty channel you know, several hundred, if not maybe a couple of thousand people will see it on our channel. The fact that there isn't like a conjury of independent media lining up, even people on the conservative side, this is where we get into conversations with even people like Michael Knowles and Tim Poole, where it's like, you guys need to be covering this. Like you have the audience, the capacity to make a difference. If you just shine the light on it for five goddamn minutes, instead of worrying about what Trump said or what this January 6th committee person said. 
You say that like the but you say it like the supposed leftists are, that have big platforms are covering this also in their mind. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it to everybody. I am not saying the person's name who you have specifically said, don't say that person's name on this show. But we all know who I, we're I, talking I, did, I didn't say not to say the name. Just I know you didn't, but you know what? The I truth did, because I'm sick and tired of talking about those feckless fucks. Yeah. But, but the thing is, is that his people do watch our channel. Good. And people that have built their channel off of his channel are watching this as well. If he had any balls and if he actually gave a damn about what's really going on in this country, instead of worrying about, I might run for president. How about shining a light on this story? You know, I got to say, uh, I don't have, you know, a scientific poll or anything, but I'm starting to see a bit more of a trend. Uh, not enough of a trend, but I'm beginning to see more people kind of fleeing uh, 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 he who shall not be named, even even uh, Glenn Greenwald. And, you know, I, I don't I don't particularly care. To, I'm not telling anyone who to watch or not support or cancel. But I think people are starting, you know, it makes sense after the the two, the four or five year Bernie wave for people to want to put their anger somewhere. Right. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, and. You know, when you hear somebody saying things that you feel, it's very easy to think that person really is leading you somewhere or that oh, those, those people are really leading you somewhere. But after a while, I think some people are beginning to see as those people continue to shift more and more uh, to wherever the winds are going in terms of YouTube views and very much, you know, bastardizing certain subjects uh, trying to fit square pegs into round holes to attack the, you know, attack the Democrats, getting to the point where those people ignore. I mean, it might not be breaking news that Republicans are crazy, but it does not mean you ignore it either. I mean, I don't think it's responsible as a lefty to just ignore, you know, for example, uh, the wannabe fascist in your state, DeSantis, uh, and the terrible things he's doing, not just culture wars, but economically. Um I do start to see, at least on Twitter, which is not real life, but is a sign of something, uh, that people are kind of realizing, okay, well, maybe these people don't exactly have core principles. Um, so that's been heartwarming. But yeah, I agree with you because I think I've even seen it on the road. I mean, maybe you saw it. Uh, you know, the two campaigns I covered for Nina Turner, I covered uh, Nina Turner's campaigns. Um, you know, not that she ran. Uh, incredible campaigns. I think the first one that she ran, she made a lot of mistakes, which I think she would even admit to, particularly with the on the ground canvassing. But I mean, you were there. Uh, you, you can't help but notice the deflation in terms of not not as many volunteers as you would have thought uh, coming in from around the country. Not as much support in terms of phone banking, texting, all those things. And to if me, I her, if I was running her campaign, there's no way in hell that room would have been as empty as it was. Right. On that but to me, part of that is a lot of lefties and, you know, people who are diehard burners have been pulled away to this dark road, this long road to nowhere by the by the pure lefties. Uh, I'm not blaming them for Nina Turner's loss, but I do think I mean, I look January, I, January 2020. You were in Iowa, I believe. I mean, you had people from around the world coming in to volunteer for Bernie Sanders and knock on doors all over the country from that to a year and a half later, the, the depressed turnout. And some people will say, well, Jordan, that's because she didn't inspire us. 
Yeah, she didn't run, burn down Joe Biden and the Democratic Party in a pro-Democratic Party, pro-Joe Biden place. And that has been characterized as Uricella. I got news for you. Based on what I'm seeing on the road, uh, if lefties want to continue to play this game of who's the true lefty and let's cancel everybody else and, uh, you know, we, we can't unite if we all don't agree on every single strategy, like, Things are going to get a lot worse because I'll tell you who's not playing that game. Uh, Nancy Pelosi and uh, James Clyburn, they went down to help a the, the only anti-choice Democrat beat a progressive woman of color. So they're not they don't have any purity tests. They're a well-oiled, well-funded machine. Uh, that doesn't mean don't criticize the squad or Bernie, but this whole like thing that has happened on the left let's throw the baby out with the bathwater under the under the uh, under the principle of like let's get rid of the fake lefties so we okay let's get rid of all the fake lefties then what hashtags that's the plan so and by the way just to be clear there's some who say for you know uh all direct action direct action doesn't matter if there's no economic threat behind it Correct. I've been covering protests on the road for seven years. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not criticizing people who protest, but if you if there is no organizing to actually attach your wallet to the protest, they're going to let you do your die-ins. They're going to let you do your sit-ins. They'll even let you, maybe not let you, but accept you protesting outside Pelosi's office, outside BlackRock. If you get a little too rowdy, they'll use their police to bash your heads in. But if there's no threat. Not not a violent threat, but if there's no threat to power by way of hurting their profits, uh, they nothing's going to change. So to the people who want to do all direct action, okay, but direct action without – I mean, FDR did not enter office as this, you know, diehard progressive. The unions, the unions, he said, make me do it, and they did. That's how the New Deal was hap- happened. So I think there's a lot of, frankly – hot air balloons with large YouTube channels that have that have have no concept of how movements work, how politics works. If, if we don't get the change we want in, you know, a four year, five year election cycle through Bernie, uh, then we're burning it down and that's gotten us nowhere. Um, I agree. We have this question from friend of the show, Roger Meadows. Uh, when do you think you'll be able to get to, I'm assuming Libby, Montana, to see how they feel about their Medicare for all Obama gave them using section 1881? That is an excellent question, Roger. Excellent. I have a, I have a very, very uh, illuminating answer that you might not uh, think. I actually contacted uh, the few activists in Libby, Montana that would speak with me. Uh, Somebody from more perfect union actually went there. And you'd be surprised they actually don't want to talk to the media. Uh, there's very few people who want, to, who want to talk to the media. Some of it, I guess, is it's a relatively conservative place. Some of it is a lot of them are sick uh, because of the asbestos crisis. But for, for me to spend, you know, three, four grand to go to Libby, Montana, I need people to talk to. And I was actually told uh, by somebody who already went there and did a couple interviews, it was the most challenging to even get people to talk to you. So that's, 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 I mean, I could cover the healthcare issue there, but going there, uh, it's been, it was, I struck out trying to get people to talk to me. 
I think that there's, um, it wouldn't surprise me if they're under some type of a gag order not to talk to the media about the fact that there is a universal health care program that exists in this country. I think the fact that uh, we're getting, it's kind of weird. It's like, you know, we did a segment the other day talking about how this country really is at a point, it's, a, it's basically a century later, you know, a little less, it's like 90 years later where we're at this crossroads of, are we heading in the direction of Hitler? Or are we heading in the direction of FDR? And a lot of people really don't think it's possible that we could be in that type of a situation. But the truth is we are. Uh, you've been to Flint countless times, uh, the story of Flint, as you pointed out many a times, is a story that is happening everywhere. It just so happens to be happening um, in such a detrimental way because they actually went to Flint. You know, Bernie's jump off point when he should have been the nominee in 2016, had it not been for Debbie and all the shenanigans that went on, was when he won the Michigan primary. And the thing that allowed him to win the Michigan primary is that the Flint voters broke for him instead of Hillary. That was the difference. And that's why he won the state, because they knew that Bernie was the genuine article and that Hillary was full of shit. And now we're at a point where nothing has changed. Things are systemically getting worse, if that was even possible. And we're wondering, you know, what what it's going to take for us to come together. And, you know, you have an open invitation to come on the show anytime you want for a reason. Because what you do matters. And for anyone else who is going to see this show, whether it's the Vanguard guys, whether it's stuck in the middle, obviously Steve Grumbine and the Real real Progressives will cover this. For anybody who's in independent media and sees this, and this includes Mr. Ego himself at the top, or this concludes your former employer who wants to hold a grudge for the rest of his life, cover the goddamn story. Even if you don't want to give Jordan credit for it, just cover it. You have the platform to get people talking about this, to get them really holding the feet to the fire, because that's what matters. This constant infighting is constant. And, you know, you bring up a really great point about the shows that just constantly look for clickbaity stuff. That's going to die out. It's going to die out. It's not going to last. There's a few of them that do. But those are, again, there are a lot of outliers that are out there. The ones who really want to prove that the reason they do this is because they give a damn about this country, progressive or conservative, it doesn't matter. This stuff really, you know, and and, and frankly, if you are on the conservative side in terms of where your bend is, and again, I get back to two people that we know personally, Michael Knowles and Tim Poole, it's like the people that are suffering are people that tend to live in these very red areas just as much as the ones that are suffering in the very blue city areas. This is everywhere. This isn't an isolated circumstance. And if we don't cover this, you think it's getting bad now? Holy effing crap, it's going to get violent. People are getting desperate, Jordan. And we got a hell of a lot of guns in this country for people that are desperate, that's for sure. You know, I I don't, profess to be as uh, academic or intellectual as Chris Hedges, but I think when he says uh, this is what late stage capitalism and dying empires look like, I think that's really uh, prescient and uh, accurate. Um, And I think that, you know, I think it is really a shame uh, when you have, I'll, I'll just, you know, 
when you have outlets like the Young Turks that has over 5 million subscribers, um, you know, when you have, you know, some of the people we've spoken about with major followings, um, even democracy now to a certain extent, um, more resources than I have, you know, they've never invited me on, uh, even though I've reached out several times, Um, you know, when you have, when you do have an infrastructure, independent media does have an infrastructure. It does have people who have large followings who could reach a lot of people who then could reach a lot of people. Um, to me, I, you know, I think it's, I've learned over the years, it's, it's a lot simpler than maybe I thought it was. I genuinely don't think most of these people care. <laughs> and what I mean by that is maybe on the surface, they care about the policies like, Jank wants Medicare for all and to get money out of politics and these things, right? But there's a difference between caring about policies and caring about the ugly truth happening on the ground. Those are two different things. You know, there's a lot of um, great writers who write for outlets like Jacobin or Common Dreams or whatever, who do great stories on, you know, kind of get into like the debates on the left and theory and socialism and this and that, who... It's not that they're bad people. It's just that maybe it's human in, human instinct. I don't want to see this stuff. I don't. I don't want to. Uh, you know, it's too depressing for me, or I don't know what to do with it. And or people succumb to the algorithm and like, hey, the truth is, if I cover this stuff, I'm not going to grow. I mean, that's happened to me. Aside from some sugar highs. Uh, when we're not getting on bigger shows, who then, you know, we get exposure and we get an increase in subscribers. We're not growing on YouTube. Uh, these videos, they do decent on Twitter because I DM everybody and their mother, the, the clips. It doesn't organically go viral. I have to send it to everyone. Yep. But on YouTube, these aren't going viral. So there's also that where every, you, you, most YouTube hosts I know, some more than others have some level of ego. They want to get clicks. They want to have buzz. So they cover things that are more buzzy or conflict or, you know, a little edgy, hot takey. This stuff is not that. This is just reality. And I think our media system, corporate and to a certain extent independent, has almost twisted things to bring us away from reality, right? To put the focus on reality shows, to put the focus on Binging Netflix and things like that. Listen, we all need an escape. When I get home from seven days of this, I want to do nothing but watch mindless shit or, you know, chill out. But I really, I, I feel most people, even sometimes our allies, to a certain degree, maybe they care deep down, but they don't care enough to really put the focus on it. I mean, just on the houseless issue itself, I can tell you, None of my houseless stuff will ever go viral. Uh, none of it will get picked up by larger media because th- they they do not want to show that. That that breaks the narrative that things are better and you know it, the only thing that matters is Democrat versus Republican and all that. But these are the things that matter. And I, you know, honestly, why do you think the majority of people don't vote? In part, yeah. in part because they know, you know, they know the choices and they know the system and nothing has changed for them. But a growing number of them are the very people I'm interviewing who literally just don't have the time, are working multiple jobs, have way more on their mind than voting, don't have the luxury. Uh, so it, it's it's a sad situation. The only hope I will say is 
we are seeing some movement uh, with, you know, we've talked about the unions. We've talked about the workers going on strike. We're now seeing some of the people I interviewed are part of tenant unions that are popping up in more places so yeah. that there's actual recourse against these slumlords. I just posted a video from Akron today. They got termites and maggots and floors caving in and uh, bathtubs coming down, you know, falling from the ceiling into lower apartments. Um, they contacted HUD. They contacted the city. They contacted the county lip service. Uh, so there are workers coming together because they've waited for the Democratic Party. Not happening. And I will say, you know, I don't think this is not for clicks. Um, I, I hope Bernie in his final years in office at some point stops worrying about being labeled Ralph Nader or stops worrying, well, I don't want to contribute to the fascist takeover by helping the Republicans. But I don't, I'm not saying he's being silent, but by not doing what he said he would do, which is galvanize the troops, take it to Biden, by default, you're helping grow this fascism uh, because you're not forcing the Democratic, the whole thing was we're going to force the Democratic Party left. I thought that was foolish. But if you're not even trying, then you're deflating a whole base of progressives for, you know, people that came into the process because of you. We don't want them to leave the process. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of long winded. But overall, uh, we're not in a good situation. I'm going to continue as best as I can showing it. Um, I take I take comfort to know that the audience we do have at Status Coup very much values it, appreciates it, um, and depends on it. So, I and Jen, I think, can both say that we both value and appreciate what you do. Um, hopefully, yeah, guys, if you're not members of Status Quo, you really should join. Get their butts over there right now. Status Quo, Status Quo.com. Sign up, and if you can support Jordan's efforts, again, we do. Uh, and I think it goes without saying that. <laughs> as sad as this is, you really are the only game in town. And that's not good. There should be dozens of Jordan Charitons out there doing this and getting the attention to the stories that desperately need it. It's not to say that there aren't stories that are being covered on the regular that are not important. But the reality is you are appreciated you just need to be getting appreciated on a bigger scale. So for anybody out there, and we know you're going to see this, that is thinking about having Jordan on, do the right thing and invite him on your damn show, because this is what America really looks like right now. And it ain't good. And it's going to get a hell of a lot worse before it gets better. So with that said, we thank you as always for coming on. Jen has to run. I know you I have do. to run. Um, but let's uh, definitely do it again. And if there's anything I could do, anything Jen can do to help continue spreading the word, that's what we're here for. And we'll definitely be talking to you again soon. They're nagging at me to, call, to, to send a message to Vosh. Would you even want to go on Vosh? Yeah, why not? Sure. All right. Well, I don't, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't, I just don't, it's not so much the kind of stuff he does more philosophical debates, you know, than, than. Well, if going on Vosh would get one-tenth of Vosh's audience, which I don't really get how he has that audience, but I digress, uh, over to me, so be it. Yeah, I think that that's true for anybody with a large platform. Remember, the goal, the goal is not to be able to convince the people in the audience of a given show that, hey, your way is wrong and my way is right. It's 
this is America and we're supposed to be doing the right thing for our citizens. Let's put our politics aside and do what's right. That's why we fight for a living wage. That's why we fight for universal health care. That's why we fight for a clean energy grid. There is so much that could be done in this country to mitigate these problems that exist right now. I think I just listed the trifecta that would do the most to solve these crises. But Lord knows it's going to take a hell of a lot more work to get it done. What you do is helping move the needle in the right direction. Jordan Chariton, status quo. Always a Thanks, pleasure, Jordan. my friend. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Take care. See you, brother. Scat, you're going to get kicked out, man. I don't understand it. And I still, and I don't talk crap about people I like, please. Unsubstantiated, unsubstantiated crap. <laughs> well, not everybody agrees. Um, I, I mean, listen, I don't agree with Jordan on everything. I don't agree with anybody on everything. And well, that's you the- stop saying somebody's a pedophile. That's really, it's, it's just not, it's out of line. It really is. Yeah, I mean, look, as far as anybody sort of, you know, I'll tell you you who a real groomer is in the United (laughs) States or a pedophile. You know who a groomer is, ladies and gentlemen, a a a supposed uh, religious conservative who says that an 11 year old who gets raped should be required to bring that child to term. That's what a groomer is. You know why? (laughs) I'm going to tell you why. Because it sends a smoke signal to all of the pedophiles and rapists out there that want to rape kids. And it's okay to do it because I ain't going to get in trouble for it. Here's the thing. He's not even into kids. Like he's into like older, whatever. You know what? It's so, I'm so, people stop saying that. It's ridiculous. I can say things like Biden's a hair sniffer because there's evidence of that. Biden's oh, a hair Biden, sniffer. Oh, Biden's definitely uh, an assault. There's no question about it. Oh, no, it, he's way handsy and hair sniffing. Yeah. But but you, you don't just be accusing people of being pedophile. It's it's a really big jump. I'm just saying. And, and again, there are things that happen on both sides um, where, you know, people are going to say that certain things are happening. And in reality, they're not happening. Because again, for so many people, it's about how do I get more clicks? How do I make more money? You know what? Do something of value. Focus on what actually matters. If if everybody wants that Peter can have a whole pontification, but I'm going. Peace, Jen. Bye, all. You know, I don't think it's a stretch. Uh... Yeah, we're in bad shape. And no, um, listen, if Biden runs again, if he runs again, he's not going to win. So you can you, you can get that out of your mind about whether or not him running again is going to make any sense in terms of electoral strategy. There's a reason why a lot of people are going around the country trying to test the waters right now because they either... Here's what I think. Do I think Joe is going to run again? I think in his mind he's going to run again. That's not saying much. Uh, But I do think that if he gets primaried, if somebody gets in the race and primaries him, I don't think it's going to be a one-on-one situation. I think other people will get in the race. It's going to take one. But once that person's in, then it'll open up the floodgates. And will Joe continue to run at that point? Eh, Who knows? Probably. Maybe not. But it's going to take courage on somebody's part to basically say, yeah, I'm going to primary a sitting president, which on the Democratic side hasn't happened in 42 years. So maybe it will, maybe it won't. 
We will see. But make sure that if you are so inclined, share this story to as many people as you can. You know, what Jordan is covering, again, is immensely important, as we all know. And we're going to get somewhere eventually. It's just a matter of how long it's going to take for us to really unite behind, you know, our common interests, which are so very important these days. We tend to forget that. We really do. But we're very grateful for every one of you who have been here today supporting the show. And if you are so inclined, as you guys know, we have to plug because it's what we do. Go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can become a supporter of our channel because, as you know, what we do is great stuff. Whether it's beach cleanups, homeless care packages, community gardens, helping local non-corporate candidates in their races. We do a lot here. And I think that that is essentially what we offer is all about. I think that that matters. I hope you guys feel the same way. And for those of you who are here consistently, it really means a lot. Yeah, I'm with you, Tim. I hear what you're saying. Um, you know, I think that I think the, I think the I think because Biden has been such an epic failure that the whole concept of neoliberalism may have been sped up a, a, an election cycle regarding uh, how people feel about it. More people have to vote for sure. But we need more candidates who are non-corporate to be running and doing what they can again. I totally understand the mindset for so many, which is, ah, eh, what the hell's the point? TM, uh, there might be somebody. Just trust me, there might there might very well be somebody, non-corporate outsider could potentially be in the mix. We'll see. Let's hope for the best. So again, if you guys are inclined, patreon.com forward slash generational change, five, 10, $25 a month. If you like one of these bad boys for yourself, that requires a $25 a month contribution. But remember that what your contributions for the show will be is obviously for a good cause. Sandra, I like Jesse Ventura very much, and I think you should run. Uh, I think that we need to change our electoral system. I think most people agree with that. The two-party duopoly is... Well, it should be dead. It's not. But, you know, we obviously know that the two parties protect themselves. We see what they've done to I'm not a fan of the Green Party, but you know that I am a fan of Matthew Ho, who's running in the Green Party as a as a Green Party candidate for the U.S. Senate in North Carolina. And the Democratic Party is who's actively trying to keep him off the ballot illegally, of course. Uh, so just remember, it all matters uh, that the system as a as a whole is corrupted. It doesn't matter whether it's Democrat or Republican. They all employ the same tactics. You may just hear about one doing it more than the other, but the goal is to maintain the two-party duopoly. That's it. That's the goal. And force you into a decision where, well, if you don't vote for this one, you're going to get that one. Well, I think most people are tired of that. And I think we have to do what we can in our capacity to change that. I think we can. And so with that said, Hope you all enjoyed the show. Spread the word. I can't stand neoliberals either. And that's what we have to move away from, because if we don't move from neoliberalism to social democracy, neoliberalism is going to lead to fascism. That's where it's going to go. History has shown that that's where it always goes. 
So for anybody who thinks it's not going to happen, oh boy. <laughs> Trust me, if you think it can't happen, it absolutely can. Thank you so much as well, as always for all of you guys. Keep spreading the word, like, share, and subscribe. Comment once this drops. We'll have clips coming up soon enough. And of course, support the show if you can. We thank you all for your support as always. We'll see you soon. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.